Hey, welcome back there, podcast land, to another episode of Dementia in Black and White. I am your host, Mr. Matthew Johnson, and in this week's episode, we have a special guest who's going to share with us his experience, really in taking care of loved ones with disability or with dementia, but beyond that, also his work volunteering. So let's sit back and enjoy some of these gems that our next guest, Jim, is going to drop for us. All right. All right. So as I alluded to there in the intro, Jim, Jim Kelly in particular, is our next guest. And we want to welcome Mr. Kelly to the podcast. And Mr. Kelly had the privilege of taking care of his mother-in-law. And we'll hear a little bit about that. But then he also since has continued to work with the community in terms of volunteering. And we also are going to spend some time talking about that on this week's podcast. But first, let me ask Mr. Kelly to just introduce himself and tell us a little bit about you, Mr. Kelly. And thank you for joining us today. Great. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm Jim Kelly, and I live in Los Angeles, small town outside of the city of Los Angeles. And um, I am retired. And coincidentally, my wife and I retired about a year and a half before her mom was diagnosed. Um, I've lived in Los Angeles since 69, came out as a 15-year-old, and I've lived in, and lived in Los okay. Angeles ever since. And I am um, from South Carolina originally, and, uh, you know, I really, really enjoy, um, you know, being in California. This is, this is my home, and I visit South Carolina not often, but, you know, on occasion. But um, I consider myself a Californian. All right. A transplant, but you've been there so long, that's home right now, California. Yes, yes. yes. All right. Okay. Well, thank you for that. And now I also would like for you to just tell me a little bit about your mother-in-law. That was the loved one that you cared for. Yeah. Well, um, I've known her, my mother-in-law, for 46 years because my wife and I have been married about 45. Wow. And... um, it it was an interesting beginning of a relationship um, because I'm African-American and my wife is uh, Latino and we met in, in college. And so naturally, uh, I've come to learn that her mom it was nothing about me. It was really about her protecting her daughter. Mm. And, um, and, and because my mom passed when I was 15, which really brought me to California, caused me to come to California, okay. um, we developed a relationship over time. But it was in, sort of a transitory because, of course, she's living, my mo- mother-in-law, before she was taken ill and retired, she had her own life. We had our own life. We lived separately, of course. But um, we really got to know each other. Um, during the last... 10 years of my career because I was working from home a lot and mm-hmm. she was retired. So she would, you know, come and stay as long as she wanted and say, okay, take me back home because she didn't drive. Okay. And so we would take her back home 
which was out in the desert. Her retirement home was out there with, the, with her youngest son. And uh, so we spent a lot of time together when I was working. We would go to coffee shops and hang out while I was online doing what I needed to do. And so we had some really, really uh, conversations that started off being uncomfortable because she would, you know, talk about her life and decisions she had made, things she had regret. And I'm like, you know, the son-in-law, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, am I going to hear this? <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it was really um, worked out for the best because when we really needed to live together in a significant way in her dementia state, um, you know, I knew who she was mm -hmm. before the dementia. Very good, and, yeah. And so, yeah, so that kind of created a, a significant relationship that um, I think was a gift, really, for me. Fantastic, yeah. All right, great. So let me just ask about that. So what year are we talking about that, I guess, the diagnosis happened? And roughly, I know you may not be able to recall it yeah. exactly that yeah. a decision had to be made whether or not she would be able to stay wherever she was staying and or come and live with you? Um, that decision was made to come live with us was because we noticed that she was failing, you know, walking a little slower. You know, we called her grandma for the benefit of our kids. So we would say, grandma, you need to use your cane. Well, we couldn't trust that she would use her cane. So we brought her into our home not knowing that she needed the assistance because of Alzheimer's. We just know that she was getting older. And we we really were concerned that if she did get ill and, and was placed in a hospital 60 miles away, mm -hmm. we could not be as attentive as we would like to be. So we really brought her home in our home for our convenience, um, okay. anticipating you know, what might happen in the long term but um, she was diagnosed with uh, breast cancer initially. Mm. And at that point, my wife became insistent with the doctor to really look at her from a dementia perspective. And if there was something there, get it documented in the file. Because with her having cancer and having dementia, um, my wife felt it would be unreliable for medical professionals to tell my mom, my mother-in-law, about her disease of cancer and, and what to do and what the treatment strategy is. So the doctor, um, he proceeded with that. Um, she was around 90, 91. Okay. So um, they didn't really go through the traditional uh, scans because it was obvious to him that she... Uh, you know, she was in a dementia state. Um, and so she was identified as having Alzheimer's disease based on the objective symptoms. Put it in her file, um, and then we proceeded on with um, appropriate, you know, cancer treatment. And, um, and then, of course, giving her all the support she needed. At that point, her dementia progressed, you know, more speedily. And that really took over the social fabric of our house. But um, the cancer was really the dominating trips back and forth for surgery and chemo and all that good stuff. So, yeah, all right, and thank you for talking about that. And I want to acknowledge that that is absolutely something that could be going on out here in the caregiver community. That though this podcast is the podcast is talking about dementia, 
you very well could have parallel issues running along because, of course, dementia normally, I guess, traditionally sets in in older people. And so the body is, you know, something that starts to go as you get older and other conditions can come on board. So an individual might even be diagnosed with dementia, but that might not be the thing that ends up taking them out of here. It could very well be something else. So uh, thank you for sharing that. So let me ask, was there ever a conversation of whether or not your mother-in-law should be in any type of nursing community memory care facility, or was it just a given that it was going to be home? There was never a conversation in the sense when she first was diagnosed and needed help. Now, I'm very um, humbled by and, res- and respectful of caregivers who have to work, have small children in the home, and have you know competing priorities. In our case, we were retired. Mm-hmm. We were in our own home, so we had the flexibility to bring someone in and live. We didn't have to get with landlords or any of those kinds of reality challenges that happen in real life. Our kids, because we had kids young as a young married couple, our kids were <laughs> in their early 40s, okay. right? Late 30s, early 40s. So they were on their own. So, and they didn't live at home. And so consequently, um, you know, we thought we could handle it. Um, my wife and I got along very well together. Um, I had traditionally sort of a nurturing sensibility. I, I did all the cooking in the house for as long as we've been married. I did the shopping. My wife always took care of the business side of our household. Mm-hmm. So, we, you know, it, it just happened. But um, at some point, and I cannot tell you specifically that we sat at a kitchen table and discuss at what point we will put her in a facility. Um, Fortunately, and maybe um, disappointingly, um, the doctor said that the cancer was progressing. Mm. She had breast cancer, visit metastasized. Mm. So he suggested to us that the cancer would not allow my mother-in-law to see the end of life journey that Alzheimer's, you know, um, individuals experience because okay. he thought the cancer would, would, you know, cause the end of her life sooner. Mm. So we had to sort of a sketch out, you know, calendar as to how long this might take. Um, and the other thing is, too, uh, because of our marriage, and the fact that we were um, from different, you know, culture, you might say, when we got married in 1975, we we always had a certain level of commitment that it was us against the world. <laughs> mm. And keeping our marriage together because we knew that, you know, back in that day, things have changed dramatically now. But back in that day, I mean, it wasn't a rarity, but it wasn't usual. Yeah. So um, we knew that if our marriage became frayed, because of you know the stress of keeping someone in the home, then we would have to consider um, putting her in a, in a you know long-term care if that was necessary. Her wow. father, when he passed away years ago, he was put in he had a kidney issue and he was put in the care. So my wife had been down that road before. 
Okay. Okay. So, well, it sounds like the key there was you all were openly communicating about what the future might hold and recognizing that challenges and stressors might arise that impact uh, your relationship. And you kind of were already thinking about that. So that's a, a good gem to drop there. All right. So now, if you don't mind, can you tell me if there were any challenges at all in terms of you being you know, not biologically related to the caregiver that you were caring for in your house. And, you know, there are other siblings who are biological that might have, you know, a reason or a justifiable voice in decision-making. If there are any challenges around that. Um, Not in any significant way. And again, you know, um, we were just uh, in a good place, um, my mother-in-law was born in San Antonio, so her oldest son still reside there. Uh, so he was much older. So he lived in San Antonio. My mother-in-law traveled, and my wife and, and her younger brother traveled with her around the country because her husband was a 25-year veteran, U.S. Army. So they lived in Virginia, you know, uh, Kentucky, North Carolina, so they lived all over the country, right? So they settled in Los Angeles because that's where her dad was from. So the oldest brother lived out of state. Um, the youngest brother, who, whom she lived with out in the desert and his family, um, you know, he worked pretty much 24 hours a day. He had to drive many miles to get to and from work in Los Angeles. So consequently, um, a lot of the decisions over time was... Um, you know, dedicated to allowing my wife to make decisions, Mm. right? Um, My my mother-in-law had 110% uh, confidence in my wife. Um, She was the only one in the family to to go to college, um, get degrees. Um, She worked in in an impactful job that dealt with you know, significant things in the aerospace industry. So my mother-in-law was very proud of her, and consequently, whatever my wife said, (laughs) and and consequently, the younger brother went with it, and the older Mm -hmm. brother went with it. Good, good. um, And she was in our home, and miles, you know, distance helped, in a sense. So no, they did not interfere at all. Um, My wife was still conscious that those kinds of issues may surface because, you know, she has girlfriends that have gone through similar situations where mm-hmm. siblings get involved and, you know, want to get, you know, and wanting to question things. Yet the person is under your roof and you've got to deal with the 24-7. So not an issue at all. Um, her brother didn't, her younger brother did not understand all the technical things that was going on. So my wife would patiently and sometimes a little bit, you know, frustratedly, but trying to get him to understand some of the terminology that she was, you know, sharing from the medical professionals and why we had, um, she was, when my mother-in-law was in hospice, why we had this, this kit of medication, Mm. drugs that we would never touch if we were well, but given that she had this disease, it was all about hospice and comfort. Yes. And so they give you certain drugs for that. And so my brother-in-law being, you know, growing up around don't do drugs, 
was very suspicious of that. So, but it all worked out. But no, we never had any any uh, knockdown, dragout fights or anything like that. Good. So it was a smooth sailing, um, you know, forward. That's good. That's wonderful. All right, now talk to me. I want to transition into support network and then what you continue to do in terms of helping by volunteering for various support networks. What support network did you and your wife rely on um, in caring for your mother-in-law? Um, friends. And when I say friends, I am really speaking now of my wife's friends. Um, my wife had the ability to collect close friends from various uh, stages of her life, from her childhood, from her uh, career. You know, when she worked at one or two companies um, for long stints of time, she still had relationships with those people. She was a still is a person who crochets a lot. So she had a lot of friends that were built around crocheting, mm. around book clubs. So her support net network came from a lot of those communities that she connected with. Um, you know, i give you an example. Uh, I'm not a dog person, right? <laughs> I'm a cat person. And we have this one friend who has a dog. And that dog and she can never be separated. And she wanted to come take my wife to Starbucks. Okay. <laughs> and I said, I said to my wife, well, that's great. Because I encouraged her to get out. My wife would get out. Yeah. Her, remote, her stresses in the relationship with her mom as far as caregiving was a different place. That's her mom. That's yeah. my mother-in-law. Yeah. So my goal in this journey was to support my wife. So I was, mm. in my mind, I was caregiving for two people. Yeah, right. very good. So anytime somebody wanted to take my wife away, I should go for it and I would deal with it. I would cover it. So anyway, um, she said, I have to bring my dog and, um, and I don't want to you know, leave him in the car. So she says, can Jim watch him? So I said to my wife, I said, well, if the dog stays in the cage, I can watch him. But just okay. make sure he goes up, you know, all the bathroom stuff. Right, right. Anyway, um, so that's what she did, you know, and it was great. But, I mean, so that's how we kind of manage it. But, no, my wife was well supported by her network of friends. And, Very good. Um, and, and yeah, I'm ever, forever grateful because um, they really rallied around her. And then um, our minister at our church was the first person. My wife and I were involved in our church. I was on the board. She was on the board. And we decided that we couldn't go to church at the same time because one of us needed to stay home at Grandma. Oh. So we, I wrote, wrote the board a letter and said, hey, you know, I'm going to stay on the board. My wife is going to take a step back. And when I got home from church that Sunday afternoon, I had an email full of resources hmm. that my pastor took, initi took it upon his own initiative to email me and said, Jim, I don't know if you got access to these things, but, you know, here's some things you might want to look at. Here's some people you might want to call. In the way of, you know, Alzheimer's and family support services through L.A. County and those kinds of things. So mm. that was huge. That was the first awareness that we knew that there was people out there to help people like us. We didn't wow. know anything about, you know, what support. So, yeah, so we had a, a network of support. Um, all I needed for, I'm an introvert. It's interesting. I do support groups. I'm an introvert. Um, I just needed maybe 45 minutes to an hour in the evening. 
to go out and grab a cup of tea. And I would get up at four in the morning and I would go to the gym and get my, you know, workout in. And I'd come back home by, you know, six so that we can get grandma up and breakfast and all that good stuff. So I was pretty well okay, you know. Um, but my wife is much more social than I am. And I knew she still needed that. So, yeah, gotcha. that's how we worked it. All right. Well, let me just say, it sounds like you handled this thing like a champ. And I want to point out some of the things that I heard you say that you had a plan. You had a program that you followed. And you talk about getting up and going to work out at 4 a.m. and doing that on a regular basis. That is so important in terms of self-care and that you continue to do that throughout supporting your wife and supporting your mother-in-law, of course. These are things that we can't take for granted as caregivers and not to mention, of course, your wife's friends and then getting that community from the church and the information from the church that also was helpful. So very good information there. So now let's talk about that. It's kind of support group work. So you got exposed to that from the pastor kind of giving you a list of information. What did you get involved with then? Or was it more kind of after the fact in terms of your involvement? Because I know I happen to know you're actively involved today. (laughs) So, Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. You know, what happened was my wife started going to support group through, uh, you know, uh, USC family resource centers here in Los Angeles. And when um, certain appointments would come up that she couldn't make it, I would go in her place. Because remember, two of us couldn't be gone at the same time. Right. So when I started, when I went to her support group, you know, um, I realized, well, you know, I could, you know, this might work for me too, but I couldn't go to that one because she was already there. You know, if I was not there, mm-hmm. and I then reached out to a local group, um, All Signs Los Angeles, and I started going to their support group, which was located in a hospital close by. Mm-hmm. So we went to different support groups, um, you know, for Alzheimer's. What I learned from that, and I share with you know caregivers, care partners that I now associate with. If there's two family members involved, siblings, couples, I highly recommend you go to your own separate support group. We didn't do it intentionally. It was no strategy. And by the way, I didn't have a real program. We just did these things out of sheer luck and gut. Mm -hmm. I mean, we didn't know what we were doing. We just got lucky. So um, I tell people to have a program, but that's now because I'm educated. You know, at the time, we were just going with it. But anyway, um, what I learned about support groups is the time for you to come and be you. Speak your truth on the journey. That is how you experience your journey with mom or dad, okay, or, mm-hmm. or your spouse. Mm-hmm. It is not how your, your, your partner experienced the journey. Every, we all experience it differently. So, what I tell now as a support facilitator, I recommend that you don't come to the same support group. You go to your own, you've got confidentiality, you've got um, you know, privacy, you can share what you want. No one knows your, your family member. 
who's mm-hmm. partnering with you in this journey. Mm-hmm. If, if, if they see them out in the community, they can't go up and say, you know, I ran into Bob at the group meeting the other day, and he said that you are annoying him, you know? <laughs> so, right. Right. yeah, I use that, but that was a learning. That's and, great um, advice. That's how wow. I got involved in it. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's some excellent advice there. Something that I've not heard before, and I don't think I would have thought of that, um, you know, to have those two kind of safe places for you, because it yes. really the support group yes. that you're attending really is for you. And so to yes. not have any interference or, you know, just side tracking things that can take away from you getting that support directly from the group you're attending. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Okay. All right. So now I understand uh, you are still doing the work. You are still volunteering and leading groups. What is it that motivates you to continue to do that type of work? Um, just helping, wanting to help educate caregivers. Um, one of the things I... I observed and experienced. I knew what I didn't know. I was totally, and my wife, we were totally at a zero baseline as to what, I, in fact, I don't even think I heard the word caregiving mm-hmm. before until we got involved in, in, in taking care of her mom. Um, but so, you know, I was fairly um, exposed to doing my own research as far as getting online and looking at things. So I did a lot of reading on Alzheimer's and dementia and all this. But when I would go to the group, I found that people just didn't know. They knew less than I did. And I said, you know, you know, there's a gap there. There's something, you know, this is where I could help. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my initial impetus to offer the volunteer was I wanted, I was interested in working with in-laws, right? Because I recognize that as an in-law, the person who needs to help is living with you, um, really absorbing absorbing your time. Mm -hmm. And and so I said, well, you know, this is a community that I could connect with. Um, But there was no, like, support groups for in-laws. Okay. But but then you know they being the organization now in Los Angeles that I volunteer with um, did introduce me to you know being a public speaker and going out and speaking about the disease and doing health fairs and which I felt okay and comfortable doing once you know they said no we'll, we'll train you and you're not getting into the nuances of of the you know the disease per se it's really just. Um, common sense, what is memory loss, and that's how I got connected. And then after a couple of years, that led to being asked what I do, what I facilitate a, a group, and I took that on, and, and now I, I do uh, three three uh, individual groups I do facilitate. Wow. Well, thank you for accepting that challenge or that mantle of responsibility, because that's, of course, how I met you. And it is a, a wonderful group uh, that, that we're in together, one of them uh, that, that you're involved with. All right. Then my final question here, um, uh, Mr. Kelly, what advice would you give to someone who is new to their role of caregiving? Just kind of generally speaking, what would you tell that individual? 
Um, you know, in the try to understand that you've probably been caregiving in some manner, at some degree, a lot longer than you think. Mm. Okay. Um, so yes, is you are now new because you've taken on more chunks of your time. And so I like to demonstrate, you know, explain, ask them about their caregiving experience. And I'll find that they have been driving to mom's house for two years, taking her shopping. Mm. They have been um, helping her with banking. They have been taking dad to the barbershop or even cutting dad's hair. Mm. Or taking days off, come home from work early to take care of the wife's uh, lunch. So mm. you've been doing it. Mm. So have that confidence that you've been doing it and the world didn't blow up. You didn't hurt anybody. You didn't, you didn't hurt the person you're taking care of. Right. That person's good. And then um, educate yourself. You know, get involved with um, whatever illness that is you're caregiving around. Could be uh, a kidney ailment. Could be um, coronary could be uh, a mental illness. There are um, advocacy groups out there that represent uh, all these type of medical conditions. And those are the organizations that, number one, will help you learn to be an advocate and will also provide opportunities to get trained. In this case, we're talking about dementia, Alzheimer's, you know, memory loss. So you have, on a national scale, you have the Alzheimer's Association. They're in every state. And then you have local groups that mirror large groups like Alzheimer's Association that are located in big cities, medium-sized cities. And you connect with them. They're nonprofits. And that means all their services to you are free. Mm -hmm. um, and these are people that do the work not because they're looking to get rich. These are people that do the work. Oftentimes they come from an experience that they had that member in the family that had a certain condition that they decide, you know, well, I saw grandma with memory loss and I didn't understand it. But now I'm in college and I'm studying geriatrics. Mm -hmm. And I see this all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm studying social work. How did you get it? So, yeah, connect with advocacy groups. Um, the nonprofit, educate yourself, and just be aware of all the uh, technology out there to aid you. If, if someone is not fluent in dealing with a computer, um, you know, find some person that is and say, you know, I'd like to order some books um, from the Heart Association. Mm -hmm. Can you do that for me? You know, so yeah, educate yourself and connect with groups. That and I, I like to say, look like me and act like me. That being the caregiver who I am. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to say thank you, Mr. Jim Kelly, for dropping these gems today. There were so many that I am sure the listeners will pick up. And this advice to caregivers to first recognize that you are probably already giving care that's I think so key because it can look daunting when you are starting this and you could have the fear that you're not capable 
of providing the care that is necessary, but really, in many cases, that journey had already begun, and I had never thought about it that way, and seeking the help from those support groups, of course, so important. So thank you again, Mr. Kelly, and I appreciate each of you for tuning in to this week's episode of Dementia in Black and White. I'm your host, Matthew Johnson, and until next week's episode, continue to take care of your loved one. Absolutely, that's important, but as Mr. Kelly just said, also take care of yourself as well. Until next week, I'm out. <laughs>